0: Hey, what's going on guys? It's Michael from the Honest Youth Pastor back with another sermon review today of Todd White. And have you ever seen, I'm sure you've seen it, the meme where the guy's just like looking everywhere and he's got a cigarette in his hand and there's just lines everywhere. It's a conspiracy theory meme. Yeah, that one. That is definitely this sermon. Let's get into it. All right, so before we start here, in case this is the, uh, the first time you've been watching one of these sermon reviews, what I like to do is go through the sermons, usually of people that you are going to know of, just because they have thousands of people watching them, and go through and look at uh, the sermon. Is it good? Is it bad? Do they look at the context? Do they look at the language? Do they look at the, uh, you know, do they exegete the scripture at all? Do they bring out the truth of scripture uh, for us using context and hermeneutics and then apply it to today teaching, for example, exhorting, reproving, rebuking those uh, in uh, the congregation as they are supposed to do, uh, or do they not? Do they even mention the gospel? So the idea here is uh, to look at that during these sermon reviews. Now. You can apply a lot of the things we're going to look at during these sermon reviews to any sermon. In fact, uh, there's a couple sermons I've done of pastors that probably many people haven't heard of, and we apply those same sort of uh, methods to, to that, those sermons as well. And you can apply it to anybody's sermons my sermons you can apply it to the whole idea is that we uh look at these tools that we're given and then apply them to sermons to see if they're good or bad should we listen to this pastor or we should not listen to this pastor Uh, this isn't about who is the best pastor or who is not a great pastor it's just looking at it and saying hey can we trust this person are they qualified to preach the gospel Uh, because we all know back in 2020 right and even now in some places um, almost all the viewing of sermons was done online And so a lot of people heard a lot of sermons and probably a lot of them weren't that great. So today we're going to look at a Todd White sermon. It was uploaded on March 22nd. It was, uh, I believe it was the sermon preached on March 21st. And it's called The It Factor from Todd White's Lifestyle Christianity. Now there's a lot here, okay? So this is going to be uh, probably one of the longer sermon reviews. And in case you're new here, I do these sermon reviews, and I know it annoys some of you, but at speed, 1.5. If you want to watch this sermon without my commentary, with it at normal speed, you can check out the link in the description below. My purpose of doing these, and the reason I don't edit them, I just go all the way through, is so that we can sit down and say, Hey, if we were sitting in this church today... um, what would we hear and what would we need to listen for right that's the whole reason of this whole very long form of doing it so with all of that said let's get into it todd white the it factor for march 21st 2021 let's go
1: you want to hear something amazing he wasn't surprised by the elections he's not surprised by trials he's not surprised by fires he's lord over the fire We were just talking yesterday about the school. And-
0: Real quick, so he's going to give an update here. That's almost it's it's pointless, basically. Um, but and it, let, I'll tell you what. Let's just we'll play the it while we go here.
1: Christian Academy leaving and their I'm last
0: turn the volume day down day, a little bit just so you can cold. kind of hear. Um, here's the thing. Listen for this sound behind this humming. It it lasts the whole time. The sermon's 43 minutes long. It lasts the whole time. So just keep just listen for that
1: to where he is first and foremost, and we can't afford to neglect the spirit. And I'm not saying anything about them. I'm just saying what's going to happen over on that side of the building is going to be absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Children do not get a junior Holy Spirit.
0: Now, this is the first thing I wanna talk about, right? I wanna stop it before he gets to it because I literally had to draw a map, <laughs> a thought map to try to follow what he was saying. So you're gonna to have to just sit down for a second Try to zoom in, but this is gonna be really hard to follow. We'll say more on that here in just a second, but just, just, just get prepared for it.
1: It's crazy because we think as mature adults that, that that's not possible because look, we've grown up in church for 40 years and it's taken us only to the last three years till we found out that he was real. Are you with me? So you can grow up in religion your whole life and not realize the Holy Spirit wants to be an integral part of your life, wants to be everything in your life. And then once you find that out, it's like being born again, again. Does that make sense? It's literally, I mean, you could be saved since you were a little kid then get saved into religion that brings the Holy Spirit in at the new birth where you get born again. But that was essential to unlock your potential and until you realize that He actually wants intimacy and relationship with you, we never step into our true identity of who we're called to be. Because you weren't called to do this without Him. The Christian life is impossible anyway. Like but man, with you it's really impossible, but with God it's amazing. So God the Holy Spirit isn't God of vapor, isn't God of vacuum, He is God the Holy ghost. And so he wants to be at your everything. It's so important. So what if we could train kids from nursery school when they're old enough to say the word Jesus, that there's power in that name.
0: Okay. Now all of that was very complicated. Essentially what I got out of it, I listened to it probably a dozen times. I literally have it's, it's over here. It's too big. It's a huge, it's actually a box (laughs) because I was listening to this while I was doing things outside. So I actually have, here, I'll just show you, okay? I'll just show you. Like, this, this whole, it's, it's a map of thought. It, 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 the, the point is, like, he goes everywhere. He's about to say something, though, to kind of sum it all up um, about the kids, because this is all about, like, a lot of what he says at the beginning and end is all about kids and um, teaching them about Jesus. But just listen to what he says here in a minute. What if we could raise a generation that is free from sin? See, that's hard for the church because people are like, you're always going to sin. Yes? Okay, so this is important to know, and you would not know this probably unless you had listened to a lot of Todd White sermons and kind of try to dig into what he's saying here. Basically, Todd White, from the best I can tell, holds to... uh, A theology of sinless perfection which means when you get saved after that you're free from sin and you 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 won't you don't have temptations or sin anymore in your life as a believer uh in fact there was a clip man i watched a lot of little clips I, i can't remember where it's from to be honest with you i probably should have kept track of it but he where he said before and my understanding he's he said this quite a few times before if the source was right um, that like in 16 years, and actually, I think he says it in this sermon, but in 16 years, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't, uh, had temptation or stress or anxiety or something like that. Basically, he equates that since he got saved, uh, he hasn't dealt with, with sin. Um, now I could be misstating. I'm just saying that this is, uh, there was another sermon I listened to of Todd White. It was actually the, the Sunday before this one. Um, where he basically says the same thing, whereas like you're freed from sin, you don't have sin in your life anymore as a believer, uh, mm-hmm. sinless perfection, which is uh, my best understanding is it's heresy, right? I mean, it's 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 this idea that you're free from sin, you are not tempted anymore, you are perfect now. Um, whereas um, there are some denominations that have like a, a an entire sanctification, they wouldn't declare perfect perfection now, but the idea is that you sanctification is done in your life, which is still like really iffy. I don't, I don't see that in the Bible, but um, the point is, that's what he's pointing to. What if we can teach kids to not sin from the first time they can say Jesus and understand that he's got power over all of that sin. And we can do that with the school. That's his whole premise, right? Uh, I just want to point that out because what he said was so, I mean, it's mapping it out. It's just crazy, but let's get back into it. We can miss it, but what if you didn't want to ever?
1: What if you knew that you didn't have to miss it? What if you found in the word where God says that you don't have to stumble? We will say, well, the righteous man stumbled seven times. But the truth is, it says in 2 Peter chapter one, that if you do these things, you will never stumble. And it's only two scriptures. Wow, we got kids.
0: Okay, so I don't know if he's got an attention problem like a real one. Because he seems like he does. Like something happens and now his focus is over here. Or if he's purposely like shifting focus from what he's saying. Because uh where's it at? I got that note too. I'm sorry, my notes are kinda everywhere. Uh so Second Peter chapter 1 is what he mentions, right? And uh the idea here is that uh if you do these things you won't stumble. Now if you read Second Peter uh in context, so uh second Peter chapter one in context, what you're gonna see is is and if you, you read it all the way through, is that these are the things that you pursue from a new heart being sanctified to be more like Jesus, right? So there is in First Peter chapter one this uh real beautiful text about as believers our hearts are being sanctified to be more like Jesus, we're pursuing Jesus. It's like this ongoing thing to where we're, we don't want to deliberately sin. Like it's not our old nature that just, we loved our sin. Our new nature doesn't want that sin anymore. So these are the things that we pursue from our new heart. And we if we if we continually pursue these things from our new heart, uh, we won't purposefully stumble. That's kind of the, the idea. And it's, it's, it's very much worded. Go read, go read the whole chapter. Um, that it's worded in this way that it's like this ongoing thing so to declare again this is why i would say anytime you listen to a sermon you need to write down the text especially if they're not preaching from it so that you can go back later and verify if what they're saying is correct because he's going to do this to another text uh, and we'll we'll talk about it when we get there but it's the same sort of thing where he just references it really quick but doesn't explain it or give context for it in this sermon and just listen for it i don't want to stop it every single time we do it but just listen for it he's going to shoot out verse after verse after verse after verse after verse and it makes it appear as if um knowing those verses paired with like he's very like emotive right those two things together while he does that it really gives the sense of like he knows what he's talking about but if you look at the verses within context and see you know the overall idea of what was being said most of those times, he's he's weaving them together in a very incorrect manner. Um, but just listen for it. I don't. I don't. Again, I want to make this review as short as possible. We're, <laughs> I'm gonna guess this will at least be an hour and a half. I don't know, but I don't want to stop it every single time when he does it. But listen for it. I mean, he's gonna do it continually through this sermon review. Verse, 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 verse. Like, <laughs> like he does that a lot. <laughs> like he's very emotive. So just, just those things paired together are are dangerous in the sense that it makes you think it's a genuine thing. And for him, I really think he th- he's as he's being as genuine as he thinks he like, I don't, I think he's just deceived to be honest with you. Um, because people have tried to correct him before and he just refuses to take correction. Um, but I think he genuinely believes what he's saying is true, but he's not handling the word rightly, which makes him wrong. Um, so let's keep going. I I just want to point that out. Listen for those, those verses over and over again.
1: You don't have to move them. We love them. It's good. It's all good. You know, the disciples were like, hey, quiet those kids. Don't let them touch the master. Jesus is like, knock it off. Unless you become like little one of these, you'll never, ever, 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 ever understand. He tells Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom. Nicodemus is like, how can, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? Like, that's ridiculous. That's nasty. He says, no, 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 that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So he gives the the difference between being born of your mom and being born of the spirit. You don't have to leave with your baby. You're good. It's okay. You're not a nuisance and your baby's not bothered. If it bothers the people around you, just pray for them. They need to be saved. And then we clap. And then the baby will cry. People are like. God is so faithful. Gosh, what if he wasn't annoyed like you think? (laughs) That went Stung. What if he's not agitated? What if you can't get on his nerves? It's hard to get on love's nerves. Are you with me?
0: Yesterday we had book launch, Who was here. Okay, he's about to go into book launch. Two things, I just want you to keep in the back of your mind because it drowns out. You don't realize it's there after a while, just that humming in the background. You're gonna notice it more because when I pause, it stops. And when I start again, you'll hear it again. But if you're there, it would just be this continual hum. I don't know why he has it. I have my suspicions, though I can't confirm them, and therefore I'm not going to accuse him of anything. But it's there the whole time. Um, secondly, he'll say a lot of things that sound right, but when you push on them with Scripture, it's just it's obviously incorrect. So his whole thing with what if you what if God's not as annoyed as you think He is? Um, what if you know you can't you can't aggravate love? Um, uh, those were the two things that specifically he said, which scripturally we look at is incorrect. God got annoyed lots of times. Jesus got annoyed lots of times. Um, even when he's, so he's using God and love interchangeably. But even if, using the, if you're connecting love to God, which I understand that can, why he would make that connection, but even if you're connecting it to just even an understanding of, of parenting or uh, how you love your spouse or how you love your friends or you know, any of that, it just does not line up. There are going to be people that you love that aggravate you sometimes, right? Now, if you take it completely away from the human perspective and just apply it to God, we have numerous times in the Old Testament and the New in which God is aggravated. So, again, there's going to be things that he says. And, again, just listen for them. I don't have time to stop it every single time. Um, and, and, again, this isn't just about Todd White. This is about you listening to this sort of thing for all the sermons you listen to. But there are going to be things that sound like really like aha moments, right? but when you press them with scripture, and this is why you should be in scripture, mind you, I didn't tell you at the beginning, he doesn't have a main text. In fact, let me run it for you a little bit. He is gonna spend more time reading a journal entry that he did the morning of this service than he ever spends on scripture, which right there is a red flag. If this was the only video I had of Todd White ever, and I had never heard anything of him outside of this, that would be an enormous red flag, okay? So we don't have a main text, just understand that at all for this entire sermon, which regardless, if it's Todd White, if it's um, who, uh, why am I going blank? John MacArthur, Vodie Bachum. Justin, Peter, whoever, if, if none of those guys had a main text or a text they were reading out of, that would be a red flag too, right? Just as as is here with Todd White doesn't have a text and that's an enormous red flag. It does not matter who is preaching or teaching. If they don't have a text that they're preaching out of, or at least a topical idea that they're trying to cover supported by text, what, what are you doing up there? If you're, Okay, anyway, you can obviously tell it's a pet peeve of mine. We'll get to it when we get to it. But he's now gonna switch to the fact that he wrote a book. I'm gonna let this whole self-promotion thing play out. Um, There's not a lot I can say about it other than if you're a pastor and you wrote a book, I don't care who you are, if you get up there and you're promoting that book for a long amount of time, it's a problem, okay? Just let it be. You wrote a book, great, let the marketing team deal with it.
1: I did a book signing and, and it was my first ever and it was really uncomfortable. But I'm gonna do one right after service. So if anybody wants to get one of our books, I'm gonna sign books. Does anybody want one today? Yes. Yeah? Here. Yes. All, right. All right. I had listen. I had one of the little kids walk up to me this morning, and I, I was in the hall. I was walking to the kids shirt, so I was dropping off my kids, and he walks up and he goes, "Guess what?" I go, "What?" He goes, "I'm on page 60." He's this tall I go, "What?" He goes, "I'm already on page 60." It's amazing. I'm like, I sat there and thought, "Oh my gosh." what if see when i got born again old things passed away and all things became new at 34 so i had a lot of trash in my life i wrote up this morning i want to read it to you because it, it was freaking me out when all the-
0: okay so this is the thing that he's going to read that i referenced earlier it's going to take him a minute to to even get to this at all in fact he's going to say a whole bunch in between here but um keep that in mind of kind of how he leads up to what he's going to say okay because he put quite a bit of time into actually um to actually looking at it so let's just just keep that in mind
1: all the kids came up here and i was i was like rocked so let me let me read this to you And this is before service okay so i'm in my closet and i'm growing with the lord and i'm loving jesus with everything in me and actually the book that i gave away that i can't hold up anymore it, there it is it starts it starts out with the testimony has anybody ever read the cross and the switchblade I went to Team Challenge. Dave Wilkerson started that. That book about, you know, basically, Nicky Cruz was the star, top gang member, like, killer, murderer, drug addict, angry. That's like my life. And when Jesus hit him, boom, he became this preacher of the gospel. And so Dave Wilkerson wrote that book. It's the cross and the switchblade. Where the switchblade is what Nicky used to run with, and then the cross is what he runs with. But it's the story of darkness to light. It's the story of lost to found. It's like Saul getting knocked off his horse and becoming this apostle of love that wrote 13 books in the Bible. But it's the story of what God can do once he gets a hold of the heart of a person. And so the book that I wrote is about what God can do when he gets a hold of the heart of the person, but then add the supernatural and the journey into the supernatural and what it means to press through when everybody's against you.
0: So I, I haven't obviously read the book. I, to be transparent with you, don't plan on reading the book. Um, there's a lot on my plate. That is, <laughs> if it, if that were on my list, it would be at the bottom. But the did, I just want you to hear what he said. He set up the scenario, which is that Crossing the Switchblade was about some about Jesus changing one man's life from a murderer and a killer to a preacher of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel, right? I mean, that's the power. The fact that Jesus changes our life, like totally. Our hearts and our minds are totally transformed to go forth and preach his good name. Now, as I've said before, and other sermon reviews and as well as posts and everything else that I, I try to make it very clear, that um, there are obviously different lenses of theology to view things through. Now, I would consider some of those things correct and others of those things incorrect. But we have to be very knowledgeable, aware of the fact that when you're reading a book or a commentary or even a study Bible you have, those are – the, the notes in there or maybe the book it's written is done in a particular stream of theology. Todd's book, for example, is done within the th- stream of theology of the charismatic movement, the new apostolic reformation movement. That's where he's coming from, which is why he has to add or f- feels like he probably had to add the spiritual aspect on top of it, adding to it, right? Um, now, he's not going to say this. But when I hear that, what I hear is that Nikki Cruz's story of being transformed from death to life, I would consider that the full gospel. That's good enough. Like that is good. That is the gospel, right? That's good enough. That's all the story I need. Jesus takes a a sinful person, changes them into a messenger of his kingdom, right? There you go. Todd adds on to that with, yeah, but there's there's a whole supernatural spiritual aspect to that too. Um, and he'll go into that a little bit here
1: because when I started to pray for the sick everybody was like you can't do that you're just saved and I'm like Yeah, but the Bible and people were like you, you, you just can't but no one can stop you from getting into the word when no one's looking it doesn't matter how old you are and if you're a kid and get a hold of this before, you get a hold, before the world gets a hold of you man I'm telling you when, when, when God gets a hold of the heart of a man or a woman or a child he transforms the heart which makes them a transformer everywhere they go
0: So real quick, I I know I'm stopping this a lot, but there's so much here that I think if you were just to sit in there. So this is the third or fourth time I've watched this three or four times. I can't remember how many times the first time I watched it all the way through. Honestly, I was like, you know, this isn't that bad. Like there's obviously issues. We're going to come to a huge issue at the end of the sermon. But altogether, I was like, "Eh, it's not great, but it's not like horrible. The more I listened through and like really tried to zoom into stuff, there's all these tweetable moments or these quotable moments that sound good that do get him applause and claps and affirmation that aren't backed up. um, Aren't backed up in in the word at all. Right. So when we're transformed, we are then sent out to be transformers, I think is what he said. Actually, I mean, I, I just want to make sure I get this right. So let's back this up just a second to make sure. Of a man
1: or a woman or a child, he transforms the heart, which makes them a transformer everywhere they go.
0: So they're a transformer. Now, again, depending on what he means by that, and this is where some of those quotes are a little, eh, what, what does he mean? It's all by what you perceive him to mean, right? What they're hearing... In that church because of the denomination and the stream of theology is that when i go out because i'm now transformed by jesus i go out and i do signs and wonders in his name everywhere i go i transform uh that's the way that the kingdom moves forward todd actually says as much later on but listen for it
1: we need to raise up a generation that is mighty in battle you know the battle belongs to the lord but the fight belongs to you (laughs) the battle is the lord's But you have to be in the fight. The battle is the Lord's. It's, it's his battle. You remember David and Goliath? He he sees this giant taunting. He sees the world, he hears the world taunting. And David comes to this battle with the Israelites, says, who's going to shut this uncircumcised Philistine, this Philistine that has no covenant, who's going to shut him up? The world doesn't have a covenant with God. You do. You're the one that has a covenant with a covenant-keeping God. And if you see the covenant that you've entered into, you will fight. And God will take the battle. But you have to pick up a stone. And you can't afford to live in fear. I said the church has been wearing a mask way before COVID hit. We can't afford to be masked Christians, to be basket-headed Christians, not knowing who we are and what we carry. Jesus is the stone. The Holy Spirit is the wind. And if you dare to sling that, you'll drop a giant and pave a way for the world to see. God is our victory. He is our victory but you are heaven's champion
0: okay so this is the first time that he really hones in on this that you are heaven's champion now that may not sound like a big deal but if you uh, for some people it sounds like a big deal for some other people they're like i eh, have whatever um but if you if you listen to the word usage to this entire thing and again admittedly Todd comes from an entirely different theological stream than I do. So of course I'm going to have issues with him. I'm just trying to point this out so that you can see this as well. Okay. Uh, regardless of what theological stream you're from, um, that you can kind of pick those things out as you, you hear it. I'm not saying you have to disagree with every pastor you listen to, or that you have to necessarily disagree with Todd, though I think that there was plenty of evidence to disagree with him, but, um, you just need to listen for things and say, is this scripturally true? Does this line up? So us being heaven's hero um, is one of the first things he says in a long line of things that make this whole, th- this whole I wouldn't call it a sermon, but for the sake of what we're doing, a sermon, this whole sermon about us as and Jesus is a secondary character or God is a secondary character and then That's only compounded by the fact that you'll listen to it. Again, luckily, this was all kind of together here. Uh, When he mentioned covenant, you're a part of a covenant. He doesn't explain that at all. Now, maybe the people in this church understand exactly what he's talking about. I highly doubt everyone there understands what he's talking about. And that's why as pastors, we're supposed to teach and explain and expound upon the word. What is covenant? What does that mean? What is the old covenant? What's the new covenant? This is why you preach on scripture so that you can walk people through it and not just throw things out and unexplained, right? So now that I don't know what the covenant is, apparently I'm part of a new uh, covenant with God. I just don't know what that looks like or what that means, but I'm heaven's hero. So woohoo for me, I'm going to throw Jesus at the giants and let the spirit take him along. And I'm going to drop some giants because here I'm heaven's hero. I mean, that's exactly what he said. This makes it about me, not about Jesus. And it's very subtle, but that's that's what's going on. So I, I just... Again, he's using this language all the way through. Um, I'll try to point it out a couple more times because it is very subtle. And if you're not listening for it, um, it's easily missed um, along the way. You are
1: heaven's champion here
0: on this earth and the God of this world,
1: Satan, blinds the eyes of those lest they should see the light of the glorious gospel that is in the face of Jesus Christ. And you are ones that carry the same image. Come on, they said, they threw a coin to Jesus. They were testing him about money, because they were tired of paying taxes to Caesar. They threw a coin to him, flipped it, trying to trap God. Trying to trap God. It's the same thing as trying to trap a Christian who knows who they are. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that trapping God should be equally as hard for a Christian that knows who their God is, knows who they serve, who lives within them, who they represent. It should be the same as trying to trap them. Why? Because we've been given the mind of Christ. That's why. First Corinthians chapter two, just read it. It's there. It's amazing.
0: That's the second one. I would definitely encourage you to go read. Um, what do you say? First Corinthians chapter two uh, talks about the mind of Christ and how we have the mind of Christ and what uh, the spirit, um, what we're able to see uh, by the spirit helping us see the mind of Christ and think like him and see the glorious news of the gospel. Um, again, within context, it means a lot, a lot of a different, it has a different meaning than what Todd is giving it here. Um, now I'm glad that he directs us to it so you can go read it, but the idea is here again, uh, he's talked about, second uh, Peter chapter one, use it out of context. He uses first Corinthians chapter two here, just references it, uh, but also out of context. Uh, again I'm glad he's giving it to you so you can write it down and go look at it so if a pastor does just throw out and says hey go read it I would encourage you to do so okay especially if he's inviting you into it um you'll read it within context to see exactly what's being said the chapter before the chapter after the whole line of thought it'd be great if you did have a commentary or a, a systematic theology to to read along with so you can kind of understand what's happening right or study bible at the very least so you can kind of see what's going on now again As I said before, depending on what that study Bible is, it's going to give you a little bit of flavor uh, depending on that theological stream, which is why it's good to have a couple different. So you can kind of see the differences at least. So you can kind of press it and go, okay, well, why does one say this and one say the other? And then look at it um, and learn, right? That's the whole point, to learn, to be educated
1: who can know his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than his ways but deep cries out to deep, and the Holy Spirit, the depth of God, cries out to the depth of man He reveals who God is to the depth of man your brain has nothing to do with this, your heart is what you live from they flip a coin to Jesus and they say, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus says, whose inscription is on this coin? they said, Caesar's! hmm, that's right, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar but God's inscription is on you, so give to God what belongs to God? the image of the coin was Caesar the image you were creating in was God. Give to God what belongs to God. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Stop trying to trap.
0: Come on, man. That's intense. So I wrote this this morning. I was in my quiet time, in my secret place, loving Jesus. Okay. So he finally got back around to what, uh, yeah, to what he's going to say right now. Um, hmm, apparently we missed part of I missed a point that I was gonna make out, but it doesn't make a difference. So uh, he, he's got a long way around to finally getting back to what he's gonna read here. Um, so he's gonna read it. And I want you to notice as far as the time spent on scripture versus the time spent on reading this. Okay, let's get into it. I'll let him go through the whole thing. Being in love with him, realizing all the stuff that's going on,
1: looking at all the world, the swirl, waking up with him, his presence, his love for me, that's overwhelming. And so good. Never changes. Hasn't changed 16 years. Not gonna change tomorrow. Not gonna change a million years from now. It's the same love. It's never gonna change. I'm just gonna go be with him. You can't kill me. I'm never gonna die. You're just gonna usher me close to him. Like in him. Like I'm in him now, I abide in him. So if I die, when I die, because I'll leave, I'll put off this tent, but when I do, I'm just gonna go, hey. Hey. People are like, yeah, but what about now? Represent him now. Step on the devil's neck now. Stop allowing the God of this world to make you look like him. The prince and power of the earth. Satan is the God of this world, the Bible refers to him as that. He doesn't have to be the God of your world, but he is the God of this world. Whose image, whose inscription is on you?
0: Oh my gosh, it changes everything. This morning, I wrote this. I said, I'm overtaken with this one. Okay, real quick. He he just started reading it. That last statement he made as far as who the God of the world is, is, what that looks like. He'll get into that a little bit later, but that is why you should at least have a knowledge of eschatology. Um, A little self-promotion here me and my friend Rob are going through very overview of eschatology on the babbling pastor podcast. I'll put a link in the description for that. But you all that, all that to say is that it shows kind of his eschatological view on, uh, what happened on the cross, uh, what the end looks like based on who has the keys to the kingdom is Satan defeated. All of that is, it's very interesting, but very hard to comprehend for me at least. But, um, I just want you to see that every little thing a pastor says during their sermon does give us a little bit of an idea of where, they, where they're where they coming from theologically. That's not always bad. In fact, I, I want to know where they're coming from from a theological standpoint. But we have to listen for those little cues. And, you know, we're only going to hear those cues when, one, we're purposely listening for them. But, two, we're in our word uh, so that we can kind of pick up on uh, if somebody says something a little off, we know what the Bible says and we know what they said. So we're just, we're even right there without, you know, going through the scripture. Like there's something that the spirit goes, hmm, okay, that's not what the Bible says. Uh, Or when they say something, we go, that's exactly what the Bible says. So it's just, you have to be in your word and not letting Sunday morning be the only time you hear the Bible read. Um, That's an important thing. So anyway, here he goes. He's gonna read his uh, journal and let's listen all the way through wonderful presence once again, the issues
1: and troubles of life pale in comparison to the truth of his love for me. The tribulations and trials we all go through are definite realities that come and go, some more intense than others. They one by one, or perhaps several of them at the same time, how many of you have ever had that happen? Not just one trial, not two, but like 50 at one time. <laughs> yeah, consider it joy. Joy? What? Joy? No, when you see him, when you're in it, it is joy, but when you see just your trouble and everything's closing in around you, it's because the word has no place in your heart when trials and tribulation come and it overtakes you and depression, anxiety, fear and all that stuff is hitting you it's because you fail to have God's perspective in the midst of all that stuff because Jesus is Lord in the fire Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were faced with a real fire by a real king that really hated them and because they wouldn't worship him they were going to be thrown in the fire and they said what is your fire to us? even if we die we are not bowing to you we only bow to Yahweh he said turn it up So he turns the fire up seven times hotter. His own men die while throwing them in the fire. They died. So how did they get in the fire? They jumped. Listen to me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with a fire that was going to kill them if God didn't show up, but they wouldn't bow no matter what. The fire was real, so real that it killed the king's men. I don't believe they pushed them into the fire. I believe they jumped in willingly. We as Christians should jump in willingly to the fire.
0: Okay, so here's something, because he's totally off his whole journal entry. But this is something we need to listen for, too. Pastors like to tell um, Bible stories, obviously, right? Um, the idea here, obviously, he's talking about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. We all know it. They get thrown in uh, or they, according to Todd, jump in. But the point is that there's another one in the fire. That other one is Jesus. And they they don't get killed. They don't get burned up. They get out. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, sees that they're unharmed and places them in a place of high authority because their God is obviously pretty powerful. Um, where this becomes an issue and this where this is always an issue is that if you go beyond the story in order to then make a point that should be applicable to the Christian. So let me walk through that. He's telling the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then he goes to the, the, what we do have in scripture, which is that the king's men got burned up. They died in the fire because it was too hot. We know that then now he goes on to speculation past that which isn't the point of the story okay the whole reason we have a record of that is to prove a point of god being with shadrach meshach and Abednego, their faith in the midst of struggle right the fact that jesus was in there with them the fact that afterwards god is faith or during god is faithful to them and afterwards they actually get uh, there's a blessing that comes by the fact that they trusted in god And they even this whole idea of even if we die, we're still not going to bow down to you Um, and the faithfulness and overarching power and sovereignty of God in situations that are far beyond our control. Right. However, whenever we start adding things to the idea, so Todd takes the idea of them jumping in the fire willingly, and then he's going to run with that idea to make a point that should be that he's going to say should apply to modern day Christians that isn't found in the text. So he's using, and this happens a lot, he's using a, a accurate narrative that we find in the Bible to prove a, a point, but then adds to it, and instead of using the narrative we find in the Bible as his main point to teach through, he uses the thing that he added on in order to teach from that thing, which isn't biblical, but it seems like it has biblical anchor because it's connected to a story we know is biblical, okay? That's a problem always. So listen to how he adds, I mean, he makes a whole scenario off of an assumption that he makes that isn't in scripture to prove a point that isn't really helpful. (laughs) Let's go.
1: Because if you jump in willingly, you'll come out not smelling like smoke. You know why that's such a hard word? Because we hate fire, man. Do you know what happens when you put somebody that's on fire in the fire? Nothing. Guys. What happens? You come out with a crisper, sharper, more awareness of God's presence, His faithfulness, and His willingness to be with you in there, cultivating His heart inside of the flame. That when you come out of that thing, Christians that around you saw you endure the suffering for the sake of God's elect. And they come out with a sharper awareness of you in the fire. So the next time they face it, they know and have seen the testimony of authentic Christianity in the midst of hard situations that manifest love instead of fear. Okay, I'm going with it. Go back to the sermon. Trials one by one, perhaps several at the same time work diligently to try to dismantle the truth from our souls, seemingly chipping away, trying to disarm each believer from the reason that they are upon this earth to begin with. Each trial tries to turn the focus and the gaze away from catching and maintaining the gaze of continual focus upon the Lord that is high and lifted up. Add to the fact that most Christians never truly connect by making sure that they're in the word every day to allow his truth to permeate their heart and souls so that they might become gripped with his ways so that the ways of this world continually lose their grip. (laughs) that's deep. For me, you have no idea. I've never written anything, so I'm like, yeah! That's so good. For, I'm telling you. The issues of life grow ever so strong. The pride of life allows them to build a case against God the Almighty and His great love for each and every one of us. To know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus is to actually be filled with the fullness of God. And all of the fullness of the one and only true God is waiting to fill us, but it is resting upon His one and only Son in the revelation of what He has done to give us that love and to actually to have us become that love. It is the actual or is the it is the it is the simplicity of the gospel that we have allowed to become complicated that is the issue that's at hand. If God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believeth in him, would believeth upon him, would not perish, but would have everlasting life, then what God has done is finished. But what and how we believe about this is the source of the problem. The problem is and can never, the problem is and can never be, or is on our end and can never be on God's end. Oh my gosh. Please help me. When Jesus said it was finished, it was actually the Father saying through the Son that it's finished because Jesus never said anything unless the Father said it. So if it is, then what is it? Because he said it is finished. The word it here is the word that needs to be properly defined. How could such a small word hold so much power? When Jesus says to his disciples that unless they become like one of these little children, they cannot be his disciples. He says in the Gospels over and over, defining what it means to be a disciple and breaks this subject down over and over. He said that you cannot be his disciple unless you first deny yourself, and this is the heart of the matter. Think with me on this. How much of self is even understood by a two year old? I thought about that this morning. I went, oh my gosh. Yes, selfishness has already taken its root in them, because if you've ever been around that, you don't need to be taught by your parents the word mine. Just put two two year olds in a room with one toy and see how it works. These kids are selfish, and they haven't yet learned, but but they haven't yet learned how not to trust. They haven't grown up in the selfishness for 20 years plus. They haven't learned what it means to be rejected by people. They have no idea what it means to be abandoned. They have never learned the pain of trusting someone and being deceived. They haven't learned and understood what it means to sincerely put their hope in someone and have their lives been shattered and having their lives been shattered. They have no idea what it means to be in a marriage covenant and have a spouse leave them for one another, for someone else. All the betrayals and heartbreaks of life haven't yet come upon them, so the memories of all the trauma and pains and hurts of life haven't yet happened to them. They have selfishness active in their life, but they don't yet know what it means to be let down in this area of trust. This learned behavior and not trusting happens again and again in life, as we grow and it gets shattered and broken again and again finally we have such thick skin and callous hearts that try to protect us from being hurt again the gospel requires you to, be, to get a new heart because the one that you have been raised with cannot be recycled it is damaged goods the rehab of the heart will not do the old heart must go when we get saved God takes out that heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh you get a new heart a heart to know him this is why the bible is so clear that you must be born again the new birth is 100% necessary for you to truly see who you are at that point old things pass away and all things become new you actually die. The new you has come. Everything that you were, all the sin that you had done and all the sin that was done to you passes away. It is literally gone. Wiped out. No longer exists in the eyes of the Father. If you could just have one look, one gaze into his ever-forgiving, merciful, love-filled eyes, you would become swallowed up in and swept up into your purpose and your destiny. The purpose of your mind is not to have first place. Our minds must be renewed and transformed so that we can have the mind of Christ. This is the only way for the Christian to be able to think from. Nothing else will do. You must see who we, are. we must see who we are and it can only come from who he is. He has plans for you. You are, they are wild. They are free. You are his and no longer belong to the God of this world. Come out now and be separate. Repent and believe. Have a great day. Your future
0: begins now. Okay. So I let that play all the way through to show you how much time he spends on his journal entry. Okay. Um, that should be an enormous red flag in the sense that we are 24 minutes into the sermon and we haven't we haven't opened the Bible once like the Bible. Like you can see, look, I think you can see my cursor, right? There's the Bible. It's not been opened one time. Now, granted, he's referenced scripture. He shot a lot of scripture out, two of which we know or don't take my word for it. Go read it is out of context, not applying to what he was trying to apply it to. but he spends a lot of time on this eternal internal thought that he had this morning uh, after his time of prayer and Bible reading. And now he reads it. And I don't know how long it was. It was at least three minutes long. It felt like longer, but it could have been shorter. Um, the point is that we spent a lot of time on that. Now, he's going to spend the next 20 minutes, the next half of the sermon, um, trying to unpack that, trying to explain that. Um, so I don't want to kind of go over anything he said in that because he's going to try, he's going to kind of expound on that. So keep that in mind. We didn't read any scripture. We're not expounding on any scripture. We read a journal entry and now for the service, we're going to expound on that journal entry a little bit. Now, is it going to have scripture? You're going to hear, of course it is. Uh, Is it going to be right? Well, I don't know. Again, take notes and then go look it up later. Okay, so let's let's keep going. But I, I just wanted you to feel how much time we spent on that. Let's go. This is why, because this morning I'm freaking
1: out because they bring all the kids on stage and I'm like, no way. I didn't say, hey, Lindy, do me a favor. The end of worship, bring the kids on stage. It'll fit with my sermon. I didn't, I didn't even talk to her. I'm sitting over there wiped out, dude, because the kids are coming. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh. I've stepped into a pastoring role, but the evangelistic heart cry that I have will never go.
0: Okay, so that, I, I want to make a note of this because I don't know a whole lot about Todd White. What well, goes on with Todd White? I don't know, right? I hear bits and pieces. Um, apparently, he is. He used to go and like do a lot of conferences, go to other countries, evangelize a lot. That was kind of his whole thing. Lifestyle of Christianity uh, was a school. The idea was to train up evangelists to send out into the world. That's kind of my understanding of it. I could be wrong if I am. Please comment below, but I think that's kind of the whole deal. So what... I guess has happened at some point is he's transitioning out of that and becoming the head pastor of this church um, lifestyle Christianity church. I don't know what the name of it is, but he's becoming the head pastor of it now. So now he's going to be a like a senior preaching pastor, teaching pastor in the church. Now that being said, I want you to listen very closely because what is this 23 minutes? Yeah. I, I want you to listen very closely here to what he says, because this is important.
1: My job is not to keep you fed coming back next Sunday for a great message. My heart is to inspire you to step out past yourself, believe who God says you are, and touch the world around you.
0: Okay, now, granted, the second half of that statement is correct. His job is not to keep people coming back for a good sermon next Sunday. That's not the point. And you're going to kind of hear his heart behind that here in a second because he'll kind of go on to explain that. But a pastor's job is to feed the sheep like to teach the sheep, to equip the sheep, to send the sheep out. Just look at uh, 1st 2nd Peter, look at Titus and look at 1st 2nd Timothy, right? There are, there are certain things there uh, specifically that show what the job of a pastor is, well, not only what his qualifications are, but what the job of a pastor is to do, to send people out. So there is a part of, his, of Todd's job here. So he there is a part of his job that is to feed the sheep. So he needs to recognize that, right? Um with that being said, let, let's move on to kind of hear the second part here of kind of his heart behind that.
1: I do not want people that just come to church and do nothing with the gospel. I'm not saying anything about any other church on the planet because this isn't any other church on the planet. I believe that the heart cry of a believer in the book of Acts was not to just go house to house and keep it in the house. I believe that people went everywhere and shared the gospel everywhere they went. I believe that every person from every walk of life, every business owner, every doctor, every nurse, doesn't matter, every student, everywhere they go, need to be able to share the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I believe the only thing that separates you is you. Your thinking, your mind, your hurt, your pain. Your yesterday not being able to get past who you were so you can step into who you are. I believe the blood of Jesus is the final answer. I believe that the cross will have the final word. I believe that the cross is what the world is looking for. They're not looking for just a president. They're not looking for a president. They're not looking for a good leader. They're looking for Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. And if we see what he finished, we'll be a people of faith. We will not be scattered. We will gather together. Let's get one thing straight. Unity. The world's definition of unity is that we can agree to disagree. That is not the church's definition of unity. The world's definition of unity is coexist. The bumper sticker is great, but not everybody's coming. What good would it be for me to just get along here and know that my brothers and sisters and people that believe in all these different things
0: are headed to hell why so he'll get into it in a minute but i do want to stop it here in a second so you can tell that he he does have this evangelistic nature to him obviously his whole point is go out tell people about jesus i would be very concerned if i was on the elder board and the idea was that we were going to make todd the lead pastor now Again, I want to make it clear. This isn't just about Todd. Let's say Billy Joe, right, is trying to you know is put up for lead pastor of this church, and Billy Joe speaks the same way, saying, "Hey, my job isn't to feed the sheep; it's to to send them out and to push them past themselves so that they can go tell people about Jesus." Well, yeah, that's part of your job, Billy Joe. But part of your job is to feed the sheep, is to equip the sheep, is to teach the sheep, right? Because when they're out there evangelizing, they're going to have questions, right? from people to them about theology, about who God is, about how God operates, about what this looks like, right? And they're going to need to know how to answer these questions. And that's not all on the pastor, but part of it's on the pastor to walk them through, uh, to to walk the sheep through the congregation through the word of God, to explain deeper theological things, to actually give them depth and understanding, and not just a puddle of, hey, Jesus is love, now go tell their people, which, look, That's the simplicity of the gospel is that we are all sinners in need of a savior, which by the way, Todd hasn't ever said yet that we're all sinners. Um, I I don't know if you've caught that yet. In fact, here in a minute, he actually says something that's very troubling, but we'll get to it in a second, but he hasn't said we're in need of sinners in need of a savior. We just need to go tell people about Jesus's love. And as I've said in other sermons, if we just say, Hey, Jesus is love to people. That means nothing. In fact, it's a, it's a devaluing of God's love if they don't understand why he loves them so much. Like, what did he do? Like, what, what show of love did he do in order to, to like, what does what his love even matter if you don't tell them about uh, our sin and the cross and what that means and what that looks like and what that does? So anyway, I just keep that in mind. If this was anybody, right? Not just Todd, Billy Joe, whoever, right? It's clear that he doesn't understand what the the office of a pastor is, like what he's supposed to do. Let's keep going.
1: Has the church become so selfish in thinking it's okay for other people to believe their own way? The only reason is, is because we're too fearful to share the gospel of truth that sets men free. You don't have to stand on a table and preach, but you do have to live as one that has been created in the image of God, whose inscription? Whose inscription is on you as a coin in God's pocket? Are you willing to be spent? Are you willing? The world is looking for Jesus. They just don't know. If we would represent him, they would want him. This isn't a try to talk people into it. This is a living in such a way that you display the reality of who Jesus is. The miracles are a byproduct of what it means to be God's child.
0: Okay, so... I wanted to stop there really quick because that's an important point. Earlier, I made the point that Todd, in the writing of his book specifically, adds to the simplicity of, he mentions the cross and the switchblade. So the fact that God took a uh, a depraved sinner, as we all are, and transformed him into a messenger of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Um, Now, Todd admittedly said that he, Uh, His book is about taking a sinner and making him a messenger of the kingdom, but then also adds on top of it, the supernatural spiritual sense of it. Um, And what he just said was, miracles are a manifestation that you are a child of God. Which means, and I would just speculate here, but the people that Todd is connected with, his mentors, the people he runs with, um, I would suspect what he means here is that if you do not manifest miracles in your life, then you are not you're you're a fake Christian. You're a baby Christian. You don't understand the gospel correctly. That would be my guess. Now I don't know if he'd say you weren't saved because at the very beginning, like that whole hoo ha chart of going all around, it almost makes it sound like he thinks somebody could be saved even if they don't know Jesus. I it, it like I said, go back listen to the whole thing. It's just it's incredibly confusing. It's a, it's just he threw a bunch of words in a blender and went crazy, but. Here specifically, he just said that uh, miracles are a manifestation, that you are a child of God. So that if you don't manifest miracles, then you're not. I mean, that's the assumption that I'm making here. He doesn't clarify, which is again, why pastors, we, we should be very careful to clarify what we're saying here. Let's keep going. When you become born again. You left the place of being born just by your earthly mom
1: and dad. And you entered into another life. The most abundant life ever. And it starts with you knowing that God is your father. And that he'll never reject you, turn his back on you. He'll never, he'll never say, get away from me. I don't have time for you. God always has time for you. Why? Because he created it. But if we never open the book and we never find out what he says about us, we will live by CNN. We can't afford it.
0: Again, I just want to point this out real quick and we'll move on. But again, if we don't open the book and see what he says about us now, he's not referring to the fact that we're sinners in need of a savior. Like that's not the theme that he's going with here at all. He hasn't even touched on that, but he has touched on the fact that we're, you know, we are the champions of heaven here on earth, that God wants to use us to send us out to do powerful things. So the assumption here is if we open the book, we'll see God's purpose for our life, Right the our our purpose which now makes the bible about us as humanity and not about god as creator and you might go well that's not a horrible thing i mean because the bible is about god working in humanity and what that looks like for the for us as, as humans which is true until we get to the very end of this sermon and then you'll see like the logical conclusion of this thought like how it has to come out
1: or to be a people that go to a sports game and get more excited more excited for a ball that's wrapped with leather more than the God that created us and put us here, and we win. You're not on defense. Defense is trying to protect the calloused heart. Trying to protect ourselves from getting hurt from people that have, that have hurt us, and manipulated us, and maneuvered us, and and just done us wrong. No. God says that he will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is fixed upon him. Because he trusts in him. We need to see God as a loving Father, and trust in him, his goodness, his mercy, his grace. God has thoughts and plans for you that far out exceed anything you could ever think about. I'm talking like abundantly beyond anything you could ask, pray for, or think. Imagine. And it's all according to the hope that's in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we have to see who he's created us to be. Let's pray for that baby. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus, God, for that baby right now. God, I thank you for grace. I thank you for peace. In that's Jesus. what I'm saying, by I feel like he gets
0: distracted. He adopted our baby,
1: Azariah. He was actually a heroin baby. So that sound, it just did stop because he was born addicted and all he did was scream and cry and all we could do is hey. Most Christians do the same thing, they just can't hear it. But you can see it. You can see it. I'm not talking about anybody individually. I'm talking about us corporately. Unity is not agreeing to disagree. Let's just get along. That's not what he's talking about. Paul talked about it when he said that we could be of the same faith, the same Father, same Lord and Father, the same mind. What mind is that? The mind of Christ. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What is that? The way you grew up and the way that we came in must change. We can't afford to bring who we were into who we're supposed to be. We can't afford to negotiate with the enemy in any way. The truth is the truth and the truth sets you free. But when the truth sets you free, you become freedom for others. God wants and has plans for us, plans to prosper us. But he wants us to be in good health and prosper even as our soul prospers. He wants our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions to prosper in such a powerful way. And the first place that needs to happen is you need to understand the blood of Jesus cleanses the conscience from dead works in order for us to serve the living God. A dead work.
0: So the blood of Jesus cleanses the conscience from dead works. That's what he said. Now there's no verse that he has to support any of this. None at all. But he is going to go on this whole thing here in a minute about dead works and what that is and what that looks like. But again, he said the blood of Jesus cleanses the conscience of dead works. He's not talking about sin. He's not talking about uh, our our original, our, our natural nature of original sin. He's not talking about any of that. He's talking about your conscience being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Again, there's no verse that I'm aware of that indicates, like, that points to that like that at all, but he's going to make a whole point about it again, so let's listen to what he says. ...is anything you did outside of the gospel. A dead work is sin against you. A dead work is sin against
1: others. A dead work is hurt and pain and unforgiveness and stuff that we're holding onto from yesterday. You cannot live with that in your life. The gospel uproots, washes, cleanses, and completely wipes out who you were blood of Jesus didn't just cover over your sin, He removed your sin. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Taketh away. He didn't leave any there. The enemy wants you to focus on who you're not so you can never see who you are. God loves you. He wants you to forgive others. He wants you to let that stuff go. Listen, don't carry that stuff another day. Let it go right now. Look at God as a father that would never ever abuse you, would never leave you, would never reject you, would never hurt you. A lot of people when they hear the word father, they freak out because their father wasn't a good father. That's not God. That's why he says be born again but i know many people that have been born again for decades but really don't know who god is as a dad and that will kill you because it will disable you from trust and we need to be in a place where we can trust god
0: this book that i wrote it's not even about the sales of the book dude it is about it's loaded with scripture and it will transform your reality. i love it when people say that because if it wasn't about the sales you would literally sell it for cost And I guarantee you that book is not being sold for cost.
1: because this is stuff that I struggled with my whole life. And God showed me how to be free from it. And for 16 and a half years, I'll be completely free from guilt, shame, condemnation, and regret. And it will not take me, I will not have a day of it. And we're going to go after God together as a family. We are. We're going to have a school over there. We're going to have a children's school the whole way from K through 12 that is going to be a fiery Holy Spirit breathing school. And I need Holy Spirit filled teachers to actually want to come and be a part of this family to raise these kids. Do I have any teachers in here? Really? Man, I have no idea how to start this thing, but I'm telling you that I have a whole building, a whole building that is equipped to handle up to 1,100 kids. And I need people that would say, I believe that kids need to be Spirit-filled and I want to teach these kids. I want to bring the Holy Ghost into their lives. I have no idea how to do this. That's what makes me qualified. You have no idea. We moved here and didn't even have an office. We didn't even have an office. The Lord said, I want you to get that building. I'm gonna fill it. I'm like, Lord, we don't even have any employees. I don't care. Do what I said. Okay. Everybody's like, what are you doing? Like, God said. They're like, oh, bless your, here's what Texas says, bless your heart. You know what they mean? Fool. I'm not kidding. I don't care what people say.
0: I'm gonna please God and drop giants, man. I'm gonna please God drop giants so So here's the thing i think something we need to realize is that just because someone is very emotional when they say something that sounds biblical that doesn't automatically make it biblical or right we have to test everything against the scripture so i'm not saying that he doesn't he's not genuine everything he's emoting here gives me the feeling that he is very genuine. He very much wants to see people come to Jesus. But everything else he said up to this point makes me question the fact if he if he knows how knows the scriptures well. Right? Is he qualified for this position? Should he be preaching? Oftentimes what happens is, unfortunately, we put people in positions within the church because they have a fire for Christ. The people around them have less of a fire. So we go, that guy must be a preacher then because he's the one talking about it all the time. He's the one that's, you know, always talking to people about Jesus. Um, And then we forget about the qualifications for pastor that we have in the scriptures about, you know, one of them being, being able to teach. Well, they're supposed to be able to divide the word rightly, right? No doctrine, be able to teach doctrine. And, Whenever somebody preaches in a way that demonstrates that they don't know that well, then that should be a flag for us to go. Mm, I mean, I, I'm not. I don't know. You you seem genuine, but what you're you you're not in the you're obviously not in the Word enough to understand it well enough. So I'm not questioning if you're a Christian or not. Though obviously, I think there are, I think there's people that definitely question if Todd's a Christian. But I, I personally, just on the record, I'm not. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. But what I can tell you is that he, he doesn't qualify by what I see in scriptures to be able to preach the scripture because he's not, he's not teaching rightly. But um, the idea here is that just because someone's emotional when they say something that sounds biblical doesn't make it right, okay? And I might get some flack for that, but anybody can stand up in front of a church and be emotionally moved by what they believe to be true but have just preached for 20 minutes or in this case, 35 and been wrong about almost all of it when they, when they use scripture. Now, again, he's not hardly used any scripture, so it's hard for him to be entirely wrong, but what he has referenced has not been used correctly. Let's, let's just keep going
1: though. See that we could do this. Who's with me? Can I get Lindy to come back out here wherever they are? Are they, are they here? They leave? Is someone else here? I'll just do it myself. It's not going to be pretty, but I'll do it. I'm not afraid. It won't be the same. I just bring the kids back out again. Oh my gosh. stand for me please surprise thanks guys first of all I want to ask this this morning when the kids prayed how many of you were healed put your hands up wave your hands
0: so I can see how many of you have manifested now the uh there's two things here we want to look at one the music is getting louder and it's ex- it, it is under 10 minutes before the service ends so no not only has this humming been going on the entire time it is now amplified at the end of the service as many of the sermon reviews we have done. I guarantee you, if you go to a mega church of most kinds, just listen for it. Ten minutes before the sermon ends, you are going to hear some music or it's going to get louder in this case to indicate to you some sort of Pavlov's dog you know, neurons firing in your head. Oh, we're almost done. Yeah, we're getting to the end. Yeah, the climax is coming. We're going to sing worship uh, every time. I don't I don't. Okay, I think I know why. I think it has everything to do with getting you emotionally worked up. I, I really do. I think that's exactly the point. Um, in many of these cases, I'm not going to say every case, but many of these cases, I think that's the kind of the point. Now, he, in case you cut it off, I cut it off a little bit. So let's go back just a bit so you can hear kind of the lead up to what he's saying. When I want to ask
1: this this morning when the kids prayed, how many of you were healed? Put your hands up, wave your hands so I can see. How many of you have manifested healing in your body right now? Wait, if you know, if you know that you know that God touched your body physically, wave both hands over your head this morning when the kids pray.
0: So good. So good. All right. Now, he, now here's my thing. And th- this is just me showing my cards a little bit. If there were healings happening in a church, like, like, right, my, my knee hasn't worked for years and now it works, right? Or um, I've had chronic back pain my entire life and now my back's better um things like that right like i had cancer and now i don't i had migraines forever and now i don't um to me it seems like to me you would want to really take note of those things right i mean if if you're banking on the on the idea as i said earlier that miracles are a manifestation of being a child of god then the idea here is would you not would it like would that not be one of the things you broadcast to people look you guys doubt jesus this guy had this or that, and now he doesn't anymore. Here are records to prove it, right? Here's his testimony. Like, would you not, that would be the first thing I would do, right? I mean, we do this, I mean, my church is considerably smaller than this, but what we do, I mean, we have testimony time quite often where somebody will stand up and say, hey, look, I have, we, we have at least two people that I'm aware of at my church that have had cancer, that did not have to have surgery and it went away, right? Now, did we pray over them for God's will to be done? Of course we did. I'm not saying you don't pray for miracles to occur. This is different. This is, I'm laying hands on somebody and you're gonna hear the language de- demanding that it go away in Jesus' name. Now again, different theological stream. I totally get that, but it's a, it, that's different than saying, God, your will be done. We know you can. We'll praise you regardless of whichever way it happens. Much like, ironically, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um whereas what we're about to see here is that there are people that are like, yeah, 50% better, yeah, 25% better. Um Anyway, that I just wanna again, there's my cards out in the open for you. But I I, I feel like if if this was a big thing that happened every week, which apparently he's making it like it is, would you not document that? Would you not want to share that with as many people as you could share it with? Because this is things. I mean, doctors can't do this, right? Are you putting the hospitals out of business? Again, I'm not saying that in a mocking way. I'm, I'm seriously not. I'm just saying that if this is for real, would not everybody and their brother come to that church that had something wrong to get healed?
1: All right, put your hand on somebody beside you. Please, on their shoulder, be fine. to say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I command healing to happen right now in my brother, in my sister, in Jesus' name. From the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, be
0: healed in Jesus' name right now. Also, just real quick, the whole repeating after time, like, wouldn't it be better? Again, whatever. This is not my not my church but would not be better to say hey guys take a minute you guys those of you that are that are followers of christ that are children of god take a minute pray together call out to him like in your little group i mean christianity is not a religion of chanting and incantations right it's not read the tea leaves repeat the mantra and then our deity has to do what we say because we repeated the right mantra it is we cry crying out as he said to our father It's just odd to me that it's just like, hey, repeat after me thing. Like don't, we're not gonna take the time. Like this is apparently pretty important, but we're not gonna take the time to have you as believers pray. Just repeat after me.
1: I want you to check your body for healing real quick. Just check. Shoulders, necks, backs, whatever it was, knees. If you can check physically, I want you to check. If you can tell that a manifestation has happened of healing in your body, raise both hands over your head, please. Wave your hands. Wave your hands. He's not done. If you're here in the room right now, and that trust thing has been the most difficult thing in your life, and you are ready to get past that and fully trust God, I want you to come up front right now.
0: now Now, here's the thing depending on i don't know his church makeup as a pastor this would be a little concerning to me if i had this many people in my church that have trust issues with god now i'm not saying you don't have questions i'm not saying you don't you know have uh, at times where you're really searching and questioning god why is this happening you know all of the the reasonable things in which we all go through right This is an enormous amount of people that just have flat out said, I don't trust God right now. It just seems like that goes to show that the theological depth of teaching isn't a trust in God as much as it is an emotional feeling. So as my emotions sway and go in the waves, so follows my trust. And that is the logical end to what Todd has been saying the whole time. And it's about to climax in what he's about to say, which is the thing that I have the biggest problem with let's go
1: first things first god is not the dad you grew up with well, i'm telling you right now buddy you get past this right here it's over god is not the father that you grew up with your war is not against flesh and blood flesh and blood deceives people but that's not your war your war is against the enemy So if you can, if you can place your mistrust on the one that's untrustable, which is the enemy, it'll be clear. But God did not hurt you, did not reject you, did not deceive you. People teach, well, God's in control. One of the most craziest things ever.
0: Okay, now this is where it goes off the rails. In my humble opinion, he just said people uh, teach that God is in control if god was in control then
1: the god of this world would be not able to have any kind of influence in your life that's not the truth the devil comes to steal kill and destroy jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly but in order to have that life you step out of the fact of blaming god for what he didn't do you have to hear me you have to take the blame off of god who didn't do that to you and didn't say go ahead devil get him
0: now a couple things just keep in mind two specific things as we i'm sure there's more but these are the ones that came to mind immediately as he says about what he's about to say, I, there's two things that come to mind. One, how would Todd interpret much of what happens to Job in the book of Job? That's the biggest glaring one. The second thing I want to keep uh, have you keep in mind, which I cannot remember the text that saved my life, but it's where um, Jesus heals the man and specifically says that, uh, or the disciples go, "Who sinned? Is it this man, his father, or his mother?" And he and Jesus goes, "It's none of the. It's none of those. It's actually God uh, planned this to happen so that I could heal him and God and God could get the glory." I cannot remember. I'll try to look that up and put it in the description below. But the idea is that this man was purposefully. I think he was blind or lame, so that Jesus could come across his path, heal him, and God could get the glory for that. And Jesus flat out says, that's why this man was blind or lame. Let's go.
1: People have taught that for years, and what it does is it twists this thing, and God can't be good because he might allow it to happen again. Be careful. God is not sovereignly stamping decisions, kill that one, let that one live, cause an accident there, give that one cancer. That's not God.
0: But the question isn't is God, you know, playing chess with humanity? Is is he is he in control, allowing things to happen for His glory, working all things out for the for for those that love Him? That's the question. Not is God zapping people, right? But is God allowing things to happen and working within a broken world, having control the whole time, working all things out for His glory and good. If it was, then Jesus would have been healing people that God could have afflicted. Which he did. And if Jesus was healing people that God made sick, a house divided can't stand.
1: He would have been going against his father and messing up his work. Come on. The only people that Jesus went and healed were people that were afflicted by the devil. Because, listen, Jesus went about doing well, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. The devil brings all oppression, period. We agree with him and amplify that. And then what happens is we pin a case against God who's good, who never did that. The enemy gets away with murder, comes in, sneaks up, bites somebody, and God takes the rap for it the devil sneaks in, bites somebody, slithers back away, and god, because we've been taught that he's in control, he took the rap.
0: God d- So it's interesting to think. So, I did this sermon review. I think it was of Stephen Chandler a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And in that sermon, Stephen Chandler basically sets up the scenario of like the battle of the titans. Like the devil and god are fighting and, you know, at the end we know god wins, but there's this epic titan-like battle. Uh, you know, for for the world. And this is sort of the same situation and apparently similar theology that Todd is working out of, that God's not in control. Now we know he ultimately wins. We know he's ultimately good, but he's clearly, I mean, he said like three times, God's not in control. He's not sovereign over all things. So there's this epic battle, which means if he's not in control and he's not sovereign over all things, there is a possibility, even if it's a small one, that he could lose, which we know he doesn't. Even in Revelations, we see it. Revelation, right? We see that when he's done with all of the hoo-ha of the battle, he's just done, and he comes down and he finishes it. Why? Because he's in control. He's in control of all things. All through Scripture, we see that nothing happens outside of the purview of God. And he ends. If if something seems like it's getting out of control and there's chaos, he's allowed it to happen. He steps in. He takes care of it. And he ends it. I don't know where he gets this theology from. Maybe if you're in that same line of theology as Todd and you feel like I'm obviously missing something, please let me know in the comments, DM me. I just don't see where this theology comes from where we can say, no, God's not in control. I mean, it's very much almost Unitarian in the sense that um, God can't see the future. God doesn't know what's happening. He's kind of just rolling along with it, shooting his shot, hoping for the best. I just don't see that in scripture anywhere doesn't cause any kind of death loss and destruction and through
1: Jesus Christ and the finished work we've entered into a boldness to approach the throne of grace but watch this if you don't trust God you can't approach the throne boldly think with me how can you have a relationship with a God that you don't trust how can you have intimacy with a God you don't trust because he allowed let's take a loud out let's take a loud out let's put the cross in let's put what Jesus
0: did on the cross in here for you okay so this is important so let's put what Jesus did on the cross for us in here, right? Now, before he said the blood of Jesus cleansed our consciousness of dead works. So clearly kind of not even touching sin. Now, he's specifically saying let's put the cross in instead of God allowed something to happen. Let's put the cross in there. So what part does the cross play in our salvation according to, according to Todd White?
1: Did God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. What? Because God did not send his son to condemn he sent his son into this world to save
0: so th- now read the whole verse okay let's just pull it up real quick because this is a short enough verse not going to take a long time let me pull this up here on my phone right john three, sixteen. now this is in the same conversation for example that uh, or for instance that uh todd referenced earlier with jesus talking to nicodemus John 3.16 is a very well-known verse. I think oftentimes we forget that it's within this train of uh, conversation that he's having. But John 3.16 says, So for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever so believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And it goes on for a good couple other verses there, which are all very important as well. The point is, though, he conveniently jumps over part of that verse. And I want you to, so we read it, right? So let's read it one more time and then we'll rewind so you can hear it. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned, right? So that's the verse, not even all the way in context, but just further down of what he read or what he's quoting. So let's back that up. And I want you to hear what Todd says. So the first that God wants to save you from is God wants to save you from yourself.
1: He wants to set you free from you.
0: Oh, hold on. I mean, that's a whole nother point we gotta get into here in a minute. Okay, here we go.
1: He allowed, let's take
0: a loud out. Let's take a loud out. Let's put the cross in.
1: Let's put what Jesus did on the cross in here for you. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Why? Because God did not send his son to condemn. He sent his son into this world to save. So the first that God wants to save you from is God wants to save you from yourself.
0: Okay, so did you notice that he completely looked over those that are being condemned that believe or those not being condemned that believe versus those that are condemned if they don't believe left that totally out then he moves on to that god saved you from yourself he didn't save you from god's wrath because of your sin apparently he didn't save you because of your own sin he just saved you because of yourself and i know for some people they're like well self-sin you know that's you know they probably know what he's talking about if you if you don't Name it. You cannot assume that they know what you're talking about. As a pastor, do not assume that they know what you're talking about. that will get you in trouble real quick. That'll get lead to lots of confusion really quick. It is nothing to say God saved you from your sin. I would go as far to say God saved you from his own wrath, coming rightfully for your rebellion and sin, though I don't think Todd would ever say that, but he could at least say he saved you from your sin, instead of he saved you from yourself. Let's keep going. He wants to set you free from you so that you can truly be free.
1: Amen, amen? I, I'm sorry for what you've been taught your whole life, but you won't find what you've been taught in Jesus. You won't-
0: Okay, so it cuts off really quick here, which is why I stopped it because the end cards are already up. So we're gonna rewind it here just so those end cards aren't up there. All this to say, obviously you know how I feel about this sermon, but to review, We did not open the Bible ever, ever. We had one. (laughs) We had one, some sort of like uh, virtue signaling that, hey, there's a Bible here, but we never opened it and read it. Um, So that means we didn't expound on any scripture. We did have a lot of scripture thrown at us. Two scriptures in particular, he said you need to go read because it's there, but when you actually read it, it's out of context as far as how he used it. Three, we spent a like three i'd say almost four minutes i didn't time it but i'd upward say to three to four minutes on reading his personal journal entry which then he then expounds on when he should have read scripture and expounded on that and then we end with him contradicting um the fact that well not let me back up he ends with saying that god's not in control God's not in control he said it three or four times. God is not in control. So, obviously, I don't recommend you listen to, to, to Todd White. But what we want to look for in all the sermons we listen for are do they open the scripture? Do they teach from it? Do they work through it? When they reference scripture, do we write it down so we can see if it's in context? Are they referring to the gospel throughout? Not just vaguely, but are they mentioning the fact that uh, we need a savior because we are sinners and Jesus is that savior born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in our place for our sins, rose and defeated sin and death, ascended into heaven is coming back once again to judge the living and the dead. Is that ever mentioned? And are we called to repentance from our sin, not from ourself, but from our sin guys, Thank you for following thank you for liking thank you for sharing thank you for commenting i'll talk to you next week